today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so um, apologize in advance for uh, this. Is, my tune might be off a little bit of this on this at the beginning, but this is for my man George Sukaloto, who's on the guitar uh, today. But George, this one's for you. Uh, the person who sang it didn't sing it very well, but it's just the opening words that capture. That's right. That, that captures what I'm saying today. Um, let me see if I can get my pitch right. Closed on Sunday, you're my Chick-fil-A. Closed on Sunday. You're my Chick-fil-A, hold the selfies, you can sing along, put the gram away, grab your family, y'all hold hands and pray. I'll stop. But that, of course, are, are the immortal words, the inimitable words of the great Kanye West and his uh, hit song off of his album titled Jesus is King, and that song appropriately is called Closed on Sunday. Now it's Sunday, and after church, we could all go out, we could get some McDonald's, we could get some Arby's, some Burger King, some Taco Bell, some Taco John's, uh, uh, Subway, Jimmy John's, whatever we want to get. But we cannot get Chick-fil-A? Why not? Now, the answer to that question is what appears at least to be the central occupation of our passage today, which is the Sabbath. Now, it must be said, honestly, okay, we're saying close on Sunday, it's the Sabbath. Well, in Judaism, Sabbath is from sundown on Friday to sundown on Sunday, and uh, Chick-fil-A is only closed on Sundays, which gets to some very naughty and actually interesting historical and theological issues regarding Christian Sabbatarianism, which is the question of, of should Christians keep the Sabbath? And if they should, how should they do it? And truth be told, this actually wasn't a live, important issue in church history uh, until after the Protestant Reformation. And then after the Protestant Reformation, this wasn't an important issue and controversial issue um, everywhere, only in, in English-speaking Calvinistic contexts. So, so think here of, of the Scottish Presbyterians and the English Puritans. It, it was they who, if you will excuse this expression, they, they, they tried to make the Sabbath great again for Christians. It was they who stressed that, that Sundays were not only to be a day when, when shops were closed. That was pretty common. You know, most shops were closed. The marketplace was closed on Sundays. But, but that the tavern would be closed too. And it was to be a day where there was no recreation, no leisure, 
No fun allowed. You know, Sunday was Sunday, no fun day for them. And so for Christian Sabbatarians, this this day was not supposed to be fun. It was not supposed to be light. It was not supposed to be jovial. It was supposed to be a solemn occasion marked by worship, scripture reading, and prayer. And, and, And so for many, this day began with worship. And then you would go home, and, and, and families, even children, you know, were supposed to spend time being quiet, contemplating, reading the Bible, praying, reading devotional literature, and then go back to church on Sunday night for more worship. And, and, and this rhythm of church in the morning, church in the evening, that was actually common, even, even where kind of strict Sabbath observance waned in culture. That rhythm of, of, of bookmarking the day uh, with worship continued in, in this country, at least, for many, many decades. And, and in fact, at, at Aldrich, I don't think they got rid of the Sunday night regular service until the 1960s, the late 1960s, but someone else who knows the history better can correct me on that. But this Sabbatarian spirit, it spread beyond your, your Calvinists in Great Britain and America. And, and, and then across the denominational spectrum, there arose this great movement of increasing reverence for the Lord's Day. And this led to the passage of, of the so-called blue laws that restricted all kinds of commerce, all kinds of activity on Sunday. Now, they've mostly been done away with to this day. I mean, just recently, we remember that Minnesota passed a law allowing for Sunday sales. You can go to the liquor store now on Sundays. You don't have to drive to Wisconsin anymore. And I think there's really only maybe one, one or two last remnants of these old blue laws that are still with us. I mean, you don't get your mail delivered on Sunday, and you cannot buy a car on a Sunday. So you can blame Christianity for that. And, and you can't buy a, you know, delicious, spicy chicken sandwich with some waffle fries on Sunday either. You can blame Christianity for that too. But I think that the truth of the matter is, as we think about it is this Sabbatarian spirit, it doesn't exist at all anymore. And where it does, where we see examples of it, it's kind of like a, a vestigial tale. You can sort of tell, okay, it used to serve some purpose, but it doesn't anymore. And so in looking at these two Sabbath controversies, I think that makes it hard for us to enter into that because we just don't care in the same way that the Pharisees cared. But, but as we enter into it, I want us to look at three things. You know, first, what do we think that the Sabbath means? You know, what does it really mean and how can we experience it? So, so what do we think it means? What does it really mean and how can we experience it? So first, what do, what do we think it means? And I use that word we in a couple of different senses. We, in that I am identifying us with the Pharisees and the scribes in this passage, who for whatever reason, they're spying on Jesus and they take great umbrage, great offense at the behavior of his disciples and then of Jesus himself in the synagogue. Their, you know, disrespect, their breaking even of the Sabbath. And so I think we can say for them, when we look at them, we can say that for them, the Sabbath meant too much. They were mad at Jesus' disciples because they, they, they saw them plucking grain and eating it on the Sabbath. And according to their interpretation of the Mosaic law, that they had broken three different Sabbath regulations. You know, they, in picking it, they had been threshing and in separating the wheat from the chaff, they, 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 they were uh, winnowing and in eating it, they were, they were engaging in food preparation. So, you know, three Sabbath violations in one simple act. And when Jesus healed the man uh, with a withered hand, 
He was engaging what, what some Pharisees and some scribes saw as an unnecessary healing. Unnecessary. You heard me right. There was a school of, of Pharisees, and, you know, to be fair, there was another school of Pharisees that were opposed to this group of Pharisees. But there was one group of Pharisees who were very strict, very rigorous, who, in fact, uh, refused to pray even for the sick on the Sabbath. That was seen as breaking the Sabbath commandment. And there was a thought that the Sabbath was so sacred, so special, so holy, so set apart, that you only should do what was absolutely necessary on it. Nothing more. And this kind of healing that Jesus engaged in, you know, they're thinking it was just a withered hand. This was not a matter of life and death. It wasn't going to kill him. This was unnecessary. And it's not just because, you know, the, the, the Pharisees loved rules for rule's sake. The reason they had so many rules, so many regulations, is, is, is that they wanted to, to show how much they honored the Sabbath, how dedicated they were, how much they loved it, the lengths that they were willing to go to keep the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And the Spirit, in, in very limited quarters, lives on um, today. And, and I say this not to be critical at all, uh, but in the, uh, what's called the Haredi community, uh, more commonly, but I think this is pejorative, referred to as the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community, but uh, I think uh, the term they prefer is, is the uh, Haredi community, uh, these kind of Sabbath regulations live on as, as um, you know, the Mosaic law is being applied to new complex uh, situations. I was a, a volunteer chaplain one summer as part of my training for the ministry at a, at a hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And there were several uh, Haredi communities uh, in near proximity to there. And so um, one, one of the things that happened is, they, you know, they were, the hospital was serving these folks. And so uh, they put in a Sabbath elevator to serve them. And that meant that on the Sabbath, the elevator, this particular elevator, would stop at every single floor on the way up and on the way down. Because according to uh, their interpretation of the Mosaic Law, the pushing of that button, what that did constituted work. Now, you might think, okay, that's silly, that's stupid, that's overkill, but, but I, I respect the dedication and, and devotion. I mean, even on, on the Sabbath, automatic sliding doors were off limits. I ran into that one Saturday. I was on call and... Uh, uh, there was a, a new dad. He had just had a baby, and he had left to go get something uh, for his wife um, uh, from, from, from their car, and, and he was coming back in. And so he was looking for a door to get back into the hospital that was not an automatic sliding door. And if you've been to a hospital, you know that's really hard for public access. And so I saw him kind of looking around, searching for a door he could get into. And I offered to be uh, his uh, what's called a Shabbos Goy which you're a Gentile who does things that are forbidden for Jews to do on the Sabbath to kind of help him out. And he politely declined. But as, as much as I respect the, the commitment of the, the Haredi to, to honoring the Sabbath, I think that this ongoing tradition of, complete, of, of increasingly complicated things you can and can't do on the Sabbath, it, it speaks to what we see in our passage today. Because for the certain scribes and Pharisees, these strict and elaborate interpretations of the Sabbath commandment had become a kind of central badge of their identity, of what it meant to be God's people. 
Their Sabbath practices were about showing the world that they were different. Not just that they were a people set apart by God, but that they were a people who stood apart and stood against uh, the world. And so in these ways, we we see that that the Sabbath, as it was interpreted by the scribes and Pharisees in Luke chapter 6, it meant far, far too much. But we, of course, we don't have that problem. We have the exact opposite problem. For us, it means far too little. Is there even a, a smidgen of the old Sabbatarian spirit out there amongst us? You know, anything we can't do on the Lord's Day, anything we won't do, and and I know the answer for me is no. And before, you know, we get high and and mighty and pretend like we're, you know, these free and enlightened people compared to those poor ignorant folks who, you know, passed all of those blue laws that, that meant you couldn't, you know, go to the bar on Sundays and you couldn't buy a car and you couldn't play sports or anything like that. We have to understand that actually these blue laws in our country one of the few things that united the organized labor movement and, 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 um, and the Christian faith. And these laws guaranteed a huge portion of the labor force at least one day off a week. And so in a world that's filled with burnout, we know how valuable that is. Because ultimately the Sabbath, as Matt said in the introduction to his prayer and as we shall see, it's a gift of grace from God. And, and getting rid of all these blue laws, I'm not saying I want to bring them back, but I, I, I'm just saying that I think getting rid of them reveals how, how deeply and truly distorted our understanding of freedom has become. You know, biblical Sabbath, it's, it's about freedom from the workaday world, the need to, you know, uh, produce and, 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 and consume. Today, so much of when, what we think of as freedom is, is this freedom of unfettered consumption. This freedom means no limits on, on, on doing whatever I want to or buying whatever I want to whenever I want to. Freedom, which is ironically, is just another form of captivity. And that kind of false understanding of freedom, that false concept of freedom, that's what happens when we forget what the Sabbath really is. Before I say more about that, I, I just... for. <laughs> A moment want to note that, you know, during this time that uh, some in the church have jokingly referred to as COVID tide, you know, the pandemic time. Uh, it's like in, in, in Narnia, it was always winter and never Christmas, right? And that's what was so bad about Narnia uh, under the White Witch. Well, during the pandemic, it's always like Saturday or it's always some kind of disruption to our everyday life, but it's never the Sabbath. It's never rest. And, and I know, you know, I don't know about you, but I know that, um, you know, I'm tired of it. I'm feeling the effects. I'm irritable. I'm, I, I'm done with it all. And unfortunately, you know, COVID-19 isn't listening to me about that. And so in light of that, you know, in light of you know, the, the, the Pharisees described Sabbath meant too much. For us, it means too little. Well, what does it really mean? So let, let, let's, let's look at this. And the fourth commandment it occurs twice, actually, in, in the Old Testament. You get two, you get the Ten Commandments twice in the Old Testament. Once in Exodus, once in Deuteronomy. Listen closely. Here, here's, here's how the fourth commandment comes. The Sabbath commandment uh, comes in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, 
your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's one version. So remember that. Now here's the other version, Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So compare and contrast, right? What what, what they have in common is it's one day a week commanded by God to cease from work. And it doesn't just apply to the Israelites, but everybody, male, female, servant, you know, slave free, uh, 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 Israelite, and the foreigner, the Sabbath commandment includes everyone. But the difference that we hear is is in the reason given for observing them. In Exodus, it's connected to creation. Remember the Sabbath day because God made everything in six days and then stopped. And in Deuteronomy, it's connected to redemption. Remember, you were slaves and God set you free. So the Bible says that that the Sabbath is both embedded in in the very fabric of creation and of nature and that it also speaks to God's saving work. So resting, stopping is natural. And when we don't, we're, we're, we're really going against the grain of the created world. And that's why it takes such a toll on us when we're not able to rest. And Sabbath is also a reminder of true freedom, of God's liberation. We're not slaves, so, so we're free and so we don't have to work all the time. And so Sabbath, then, it, it, it's one day a week where we remember who we are. Where we celebrate the story of who we are. That we are God's created people and God's redeemed people. But ultimately, though, in, in spite of, you know, the, the prese- presenting and prevailing controversies that we see in this passage, I don't think that this passage is ultimately about the Sabbath at all in terms of what you can and you can't do. Because the focus of this passage is Jesus. The crux of it all, we see it in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, you know, after he, he, he talks about why his men could do what they did, or why his disciples could do what they did, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's the punchline. And so Jesus, he justifies his disciples' behavior by referring to what uh, David and his men had done when they ate uh, the showbread at the tabernacle, when they were on the run from, from Saul. And that bread was reserved for the priests alone. They had broken, you know, the law in doing that. And so in making this connection between David and his men, and, and Jesus makes this connection to him, himself and his disciples, what he's doing is he's claiming this royal prerogative over what counts and what doesn't count as Sabbath observance. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath? Who can tell us what we should and, and, and should not do to honor that day? You know, who or what should we look to for guidance? Jesus, in his answer and the clear answer of our passage today, is that if we want to understand the purpose of the Sabbath, if we want to understand how we can keep it, how we can remember it, how we can honor it, how we can observe it, we need to look to him. 
And so for Jesus, Sabbath observance is fulfilled in relationship to Him. And so the Sabbath is honored when we work on behalf of the King and His kingdom. Look at the disciples in this passage. And the Sabbath is honored when we don't just refrain from work, but we actively engage and practice mercy. And in the New Testament, it talks about life in Christ as a perpetual Sabbath rest. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon from you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And that uh, passage, as it occurs in the message, as Eugene Peterson translates it so great, says, come to me, everyone is burned out, tired, fed up, spent on religion, Jesus says, and I'm going to give you rest. And so the Sabbath is for Jesus. And so we keep it by doing whatever we can, especially on the Lord's day, to commune with Him, to be nurtured by His life-giving Word and Spirit, uh, to be fed and, and refreshed at His table, where we remember that we're, we're creatures before we create or make anything. Right? The world was here bef- before us. It goes on without us, and it's going to be here long after we're gone. And where we remember that we're free because all that we have and all that we are in relationship to God rests upon a foundation of grace. So that's what the Sabbath is really for. It's really for Jesus. But this last point is how can we experience it? And I think the answer or the sketch or the beginning of an answer for each and every one of us is is found in what Jesus says to the man with a withered hand. He says to him, stretch out your hand. And on the meaning of this, I love, um, uh, there was a a very famous teacher um, in in, in the early church uh, named Ambrose of Milan, and he's maybe most famous because he was the teacher of St. Augustine. So he was known in his day as an amazing preacher and teacher of Scripture. And, uh, and when Augustine went to, to Milan, he sat at Ambrose's feet, and he learned so much from him. And this is what Ambrose says when he's, when he's reading this, these words. He says, Then you heard the words of the Lord saying, Stretch out your hand. This is the common remedy. He's saying this is how we can all experience the Sabbath. You who think that you have a healthy hand, beware, lest it be withered by greed or sacrilege. Hold it out to the poor person who begs you. Hold it out to help your neighbor, to give protection to the widow, to snatch from harm the one you see subjected to unjust insult. Hold it out to God for your sins. The hand is stretched forth. Then it is healed. I love that. I love that. That if we truly want to experience what the Sabbath is for, the kind of rest that our souls need, then we've got to stretch out our hands. Stretch them out to Jesus in repentance and faith to be restored. Stretch them out in worship and in praise to be renewed. Uh, Stretch them out to people that are broken and are hurting. Uh, Stretch them out to the person from whom you need forgiveness or, or the person that you need to forgive. Stretch them out to the lonely, the sick, the discouraged, the unwanted, the forlorn. Stretch out your hand today 
and be restored, be healed, enter into Jesus' true and everlasting rest. And this opportunity, this invitation, it's always open to us, even on Sunday. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please pray with me.